are some common parts uh, about your story that you that, that were included? What, what were some common features of your stories? The people that were listening can share too. Like something that you heard. I also need to grab my whiteboard. Yeah, just like what were some things that were in your story that were like a common feature? Like Chris, I heard you give background information. Like that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Sorry, I just needed to get this. So what were, what were some common features? You might. Characters. They had characters. Who were the characters in Chris's story? Chris and Stacy were the characters in Chris's story. Not surprising. <laughs> Not that you, I didn't mean that like you always talk about yourself or something like that. <laughs> Not surprising. No, just, just kidding. Okay, so characters. Characters are a common feature of a story. What's, what's, what else was common? What, there's a conflict? What was the conflict over here? Traffic. That is a big conflict. Oh yeah, that's right. The stone. That was that was, well, that was a, the antagonist. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> what else? What? Having a job. So, uh, some sort of circumstance or setting that that was the the where the story took place. The job. Cameron. You lost your keys to your truck? Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's, there's some uh, conflict there in some ways. And the resolution. There's a resolution to the conflict. <laughs> Tragedy. <laughs> what else? I heard Chris talking. He's like, and... Um, I was up till 4.30 and I went to bed. Like there's a conclusion, right? It ended somewhere, even if we have a hard time finding it sometimes. So stories are universal. We live them every day, right? Uh, we, we, we live our world in stories, in different scenes of our stories, and, and, um, and they're a universal way to communicate truth. And so um, the big idea that we're kind of going for today, it's in, there, it's in your notes already. Uh, stories in the Bible are real-life history selectively intended to communicate true theological concepts. So I'm going to break that down. Real-life history. So like, like when we studied about Abram today, that really happened. And he's really going through, you like put yourself in his shoes, he's really going through not having a, an offspring, you know, with his wife not being able to have a child. He's really going through having to leave his homeland. So think about like if you grew up here in Quarryville, think about having to uproot, and God says, uproot yourself, leave, go somewhere that I'm not even, I, I haven't even shown you yet. You, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you later, tell you later. He's really going through these things, and it's real-life history, um, and, and they're chosen selectively, okay? So some of you, when I tell you, uh, tell a story, you're like, well, what am I going to tell a story about? Because you realize intuitively that, that 
when we tell stories, we tell them for a purpose. Chris was like, maybe it's not going to fit Ben's purpose. And I'm like, yeah, it will. Don't worry. But we tell them for a purpose. And, and you choose the stories that you tell selectively. If, you, if I'm catching up with you, I'm not going to tell you every moment of what I had for breakfast and, and everything that my kids said. You know, I'm going to choose the things that I think were important or funny or there's certain purposes. Um, so it's stories in the Bible are real-life history selectively intended to communicate true theological concepts. So the, the, the reason, if we're looking at why is the story in the Bible, it's intended to communicate some sort of true theological concept. What does theology mean? Can I hear from somebody in the youth? What is theology? Because no? No? Anybody else want to help? Theo means... God, logi, <laughs> ology, study of, the study of God, or, or the knowledge of God. And, and so we, we don't, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes we, people think that we have to separate a historical story from a theological story. That in order to have a theological story, it must not be historical. And in order to have a historical story, it must not have a theological purpose or bent. And that is something that is not true. It's, a, it's what we call a false dichotomy. It's, it's, it's setting up two opposing things as if they're opposing and they're not. They're, they're, they can work together. And here's the reason why. Because God is a real God working in, in, in real time and space. So, of course, it's not going to be opposed to each other. Because God really did these things in real time and space, so it's historically true. And the reason that he's working is to reveal himself. And so we have this, this historical reality and this theological reality that are working together. And the authors of the Bible are putting these things together selectively so that we would know God. And God communicates himself in this universal language of story in over 40% of the Bible. Over 40% of the Bible is story. And honestly, over 40% of the Bible is oral, or was, was intended to be oral story or listening. And so if you're, you're the kind of person who's like, yeah, I don't, I don't like to read, I don't, you know, listen. Just, just like have somebody read it to you or, or have your Bible app read it to you or something like that. Like, like, the stories are actually best read or understood, read, read when they're heard. <laughs> stories are best understood when they're heard. And so even, even like you reading them out loud will give you a different sense of the story than you reading it just, you know, silently in your, in your room. Um, so stories in the Bible are real-life history selectively intended to communicate true theological concepts. Um, so... The way that we're going to do this, the rest of the way on out, is we're going to take one genre, like today is historical, theological, narrative, and we're going to, we're going to look at it through the, the three uh, activities and three lenses that we've been talking about so far in this class. So what are the, the three primary activities of Bible study? Remember the, you got that uh, picture there on your, 
on your notes, you remember, you remember what the three lines at the top are? Observation, interpretation, apply, yeah. And so you can say observation, interpretation, application, observe, interpret, apply. I don't really care as long as you get it. Um, and then we said in order to, uh, what we're doing in, in that observing, uh, interpreting, and applying, we're looking at the Bible through three lenses, okay? And remember what the three lenses are? Them, Jesus, and us, right? And so them is the people that are, you know, it was being written to, the people that are in the story, mainly the people that are being written to. Jesus, how, how, how is this fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Uh, how does this point us to Him? And then, and only then, us. How does it apply to our lives today? Um, so them, Jesus, us. And so we're going to look at these principles for study. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm heavily relying, I actually brought the book this time, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth uh, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, and a lot of you wrote that down last week. And, and this week would be, if you, if you did decide to get that book or something like that, this, would be, this week would be chapter 5 um, on Old Testament narrative. Uh, and I'm, heavily, I'm not doing the whole, like I'm not following his outline or anything like that, but I am heavily, I'm reading that, and that's a lot of background. So I'm not going to cite it every single time. Just understand there's a lot of background there that's coming from him. Um, and... Uh, my order of this class is not following the order of this book either. If you, do, if you did decide to buy the book, um, it's following the order of our sermon series. So he puts it, you know, he does epistles first. Well, we aren't going to get to epistles until we get to epistles. <laughs> um, so we're going to do Old Testament narrative today. So uh, some principles for uh, study. So we're going to start with observation and, and talk about some principles for observation, specifically when we're looking at Old Testament narrative. Oh, by the way, before I get into this, um, we've been talking about this fact, and I just want to remind us again, I just want to remind us again, that method comes out of what we believe to be true about the Bible. So the reason that we're looking at these things for Old Testament narrative is because God chose to reveal himself 40% 40% plus of the time in narrative. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're going to learn, like, well, then why did he use that style? And what is significant about that style? And, 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 you know, what can I be looking for when I'm reading? So that it helps me understand these things a little bit more quickly when I'm reading the Bible or listening to the Bible. Um, but method is not the golden ticket to truly true enlightenment by the scriptures or illumination by the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one working in our study, in our times with the Lord. And if we're doing this just to accomplish method, just to say, I asked all the observation questions, done, check, feel good now. Just to say, I I interpreted it appropriately, check. Just to say, I wrote down my application, check. (laughs) That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this to relate to God so that ultimately we would meet Him in His Word because we have a God who has communicated to us. We have a God who has cared enough to say, 
this is who I am. And, we, and, and, to, and then to save us, to bring us into relationship with Him, so that, and to give us His Holy Spirit Himself indwelling us so that we can look at this book and actually understand it. And if we have a God who's done that, I want to put in all the work that I can to understand it as best as I possibly can. All right? So because it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Let's pray. God, I confess that I can just so quickly run past this relationship element. And, and I can just so quickly get to the checklist of doing. And, and even in this class, God, just get to the material that we want to teach and teach the right method and, and emphasize the right method. But, but Lord, I, we need you. We need to relate to you. We need your word to shape us and conform us. And, and so even as we practice some of these things, Lord, would you do something in our hearts through your word? May it not be merely practice, but may it be something that we're actually looking at your word and taking away. Remind us of your nearness to us right now. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going we're to do this observation. We'll do some practice with that. We'll do interpretation. We'll do some practice with that. And we're going to use the same passage the whole way through. So you're going to take one passage and go the whole way through here. Uh, and that passage is going to be Genesis 11, 1 to 9. So I'll teach you a little bit. You'll practice. I'll teach you some more. You'll practice. I'll teach you some more. You'll practice. Okay, so hang with me on the teaching parts because you're going to have to practice it. <laughs> Um, all right, so observation. We, we are looking at five main questions in observation. Uh, five W's, remember what they were? Who, what, where, when, words. Yep, who, what, where, when, and words, because we, don't, we wait on why until we get to interpretation, right? Why is an interpretive question. So who, what, where, when, and words. Uh, so um, you can see in, in, your, in your book, or in your notes there, I'm sorry, um, the who. When we're talking about the who in, in narrative, um, now of course we can talk, be talking about the author and then the situation of the recipients, and, and that's important, but it kind of falls into the background a little bit, um, like you think about Genesis uh, and who that was written to. Um, you're probably not going to be just, it's important, but you're not going to be thinking about it as much when you're sitting there in your half an hour study at, in the morning, you know. Like, it's just not going to come out as prominently. So we're going to primarily be thinking about who in the story, okay. And we're going to think about three different types of characters. Uh, the protagonist, the antagonist, and the agonist, okay. Yes, Natalie, it's going to feel like school. <laughs> You don't love it? Yeah, I know, but like, here's, the, here's the cool thing. Like, God actually revealed its, himself to you, and he gave you a mind to think. And so we don't love using our minds, but he did give them to us. Well, you can, but he also gave you a mind to read his word, right? So um, protagonist, antagonist. I don't care if you remember those words at all, honestly. I don't care that you remember those words at all. But you're going to have a hero, 
right? Like that's your protagonist. So you want to use these words, Natalie. Be my guest. I, I hear what? What? I said if you want to use different words than protagonist, antagonist, and, and agonist, be my guest. So generally the protagonist is the hero of the story, right? Is the one that, that like is winning the day, is conquering, whatever. And uh, the protagonist, this is, this is a really important principle. When you're reading the Bible, the protagonist is always, the hero of the story is always God. Always God. We always put the characters at the center of the like the, the characters that we see at the center of the story. But always, the main worker, the main one who is accomplishing something, is God. If you get that, and you get nothing else today, yeah. Yes, you could, because that is exactly what I was going to say next. <laughs> Generally, the villain, or the, what, what, what is the other word I used in your notes? Opponent, yeah. Right? And so then, these are kind of like the unseen, and in some ways they're the unseen elements of the story, but you can't forget about them. If you forget about them, you'll miss the point of the story. So then everything else in the story, every other character in the story is what? What's left? Agonists. People who are involved in the conflict in some way. They're either on the side of the protagonist, God, they're on the side of Satan, or sometimes they're neutral. Like Sometimes they're just there to move the story along. And that's really, really important because there's something bigger than the characters going on. Like when I was preaching about Abram today. Like if, if we don't realize that like Abram is not the hero, <laughs> we will get the story of Abram very, very, very wrong. Uh, we, will, we will get his blessing wrong. We'll, get, you know, we'll think he deserves something. We'll get... We'll get it wrong. Um, this, now, now, at the same time, this really is the story of their lives. Okay? So these characters, they're not just pawns in a chess game. They're, they're really living out their stories in real time and space. Just like God is at work in the story of our lives, so we, we can feel with them. We can worry with them, we can mourn with them, we can wonder with them, we can worship with them. That, that's the point of the characters, is that just like in our lives, God is the hero, we are not, and, and there's a, a very real opponent, and we're kind of in the middle of that, we can, we can relate to them in the midst of the story. Okay, So that's the who. Um, the what, the what, the, and we're going to think about what in terms of plot here, okay? A lot, of, a lot of times we don't think, you know, when we're reading a story, we just don't think about plot. Like, plot almost is just this natural thing that happens in a story because that's how you tell a story. If you don't, you're not telling a story if you don't have plot. You're, you're giving a speech or you're um, teaching or something, you know, whatever it is. So... We're going to think of plot in, in, th in three arcs, okay? And the first arc is the big story of the Bible. This whole thing that we keep saying, God's story, my story. Like, 
God's big story of, of, of eternity, history. Um, that's the first arc is um, redemptive history. And what I mean by that is what God is doing from Adam all the way through to the second coming of Jesus and into the eternity. That's the big arc. And every story is a part of that first arc. Okay, Then you can think of um, this second arc uh, being kind of that, that part of redemptive history um, that you are in. So, uh, like, we could label this the patriarchs for that, for example. And what is God doing in this particular part of the story that, that relates to, that uh, intersects with, I didn't draw that very well. It's supposed to, <laughs> it's supposed to actually touch, but, you know. Um, that intersects with the, the first arc of redemptive history. The third arc, oh, man, I got it in my own way. Patriarchs. Not to play on words with the arc thing, but anyway. Um, the third arc, again, that's supposed to touch. Katie is the artist. Um, the third arc is the actual story that we're in. And sometimes... Sometimes that actually might be a lot longer than we think. So like the story of Abraham, we looked at like one scene from his life. So we might even have this fourth arc of like a scene. Um, you know, and, and really the whole story of Abraham would have gone from chapter 12 to 22, 20, somewhere there. Like, aren't you glad I didn't preach that today? <laughs> She she gives me that look like, yes. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. I I set it up. Uh, So, you got these three arcs that you're thinking about in terms of the what, and you can kind of think of like where, you know, what, where am I at in that, in that. But then also, um, in this first arc, we have, so think about this, I'm sorry, in this third arc, this story, we have um, parts of every single story. We have the setting. Where, you know, where is this taking place and when? Um, so that actually answers that when question. We have the climax I'm sorry, no, we have the rising action. Not thinking. We have the climax. The rising action is kind of setting up the, the central conflict. Uh, so Matt mentioned conflict earlier. It's setting up that central, what's the tension going to be? What, what, what's, what's the tension that we're feeling? And, it be, um, and then at the climax, uh, the conflict or tension reaches its peak and the, and the tension kind of breaks. 
get to the to the falling action then. What is the fallout of the and the resolution of the conflict? The results of the climax. And then the conclusion uh, brings some sort of resolution to the story. And so you've probably seen that in English class before. So that's, that's kind of what you're trying to establish in the what. Uh, just, just kind of establish the different parts here. Uh, and then the where, it's gonna, you know, that's going to be found in the setting. Uh, the when is going to be found in the setting. And then the words, you're, you're going to look for words that are repeated. Um, so that, that's often going to tell you something like today, land. Actually, the, the original word land, which our translations did not serve us well in, was repeated. Go from your country to the land which I'm telling you. It's land to land. Um, and and that, that word is actually repeated very often, very often in the first number of chapters in Genesis. And so it is a, it's, a, it's a very important word. Um, so repetition, which is almost, that's probably going to come up every week, honestly. Um, and illusion. Uh, do you know what illusion is? Not a magic trick. Illusion is a reference to another part of the story. Okay? So like, um, is there any examples in what we studied today? I'm trying to think. The offspring. The offspring. That word um, triggers our memory just 12 chapters earlier to the offspring in Genesis chapter 3. And it's supposed to. It's an illusion. Um, so we're going to practice this, okay? What I want you to do is open up your Bibles to Genesis 11, 1 to 9. And uh, I want you to, to answer those five questions. For Genesis 11, 1 to 9. And I want you to plot it, I want you to plot it on a on a chart like this, okay? Where where's the setting? Where's the rising action? Where's the climax? Where's the falling action? Where's the conclusion? Okay? Genesis 11, 1 to 9. If you if you did the discover the story reading, you would have done this this part. If not, you get to do it right now. Alright. Bring it back. Who is the protagonist? God. Right. Good. You didn't fail the test. Um, <laughs> who is the antagonist? Satan. Right. We don't. We can't see him. Who is the agonist? The whole world. And and whose side are they on? Satan, right? They're against the antagonist. I mean, I'm sorry, they're, they're against the protagonist. Get myself confused. Um, what's that? Hero and villain. Okay, you're right. I'll stick with it. They're against the hero. Um, so let's, let's plot the, the narrative here. Uh, where's the setting? Okay, a plane in the land of Shinar. Anybody notice anything about that setting? What's that? Babylon. It's Babylon. Yeah, we get to find that out later. Yeah, so that's that's going to be that's in the big arc. That's going to t- 
take some significance, yeah. What else? It's a plane. Why do you, why is that important? <laughs> good, good job. <laughs> what, what, I heard John say it. It's flat. And what's the whole story about? Going up. So they don't, they're, they're on a flat plane, and the whole story is about building a tower to heaven. They should have started on a mountain. They could have gotten a head start. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, where's, the, where's the rising action from where to where? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, we already identified the people. Yeah. Rising action. Building the tower. Building the tower. And, and what, what happens while they're building the tower? Do we learn about them? We, do we learn about all of the different tools that they used? Like, how did they get all the stones in place? And how did they do all this? What do we, what do we learn? We're learning, We're learning why they're doing it. So the focus of the narrative is on why. And we, it comes in the form of what? Dialogue. It comes in the form of them speaking. Okay? Now, that we do learn one thing about one tool. And Matt, Matt pointed that out, which is really important. Go ahead, Matt. Um, so then the climax, where does the climax come? Verse 7? Yep. Or, yeah, why, why verse 7? Why do you put it in verse 7? So that, yeah, that, and, and I would put it back even in verse 6, so, because that's just where he, he starts speaking. Um, and so he's giving the reason, and he's, stepping, he's intervening now. So that, what I was talking over here, when, when God starts to speak, that's often, or even in the Gospels, when Jesus starts to speak, that's often the climax. It, it's like the, the tension is building, the tension is building, and then God speaks. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, God has the final word. Uh, he, he has the he has the the opinion about what's going on here that matters, um, and then the falling action. Yeah, so he actually kind of does what he says, and even a little bit more than what he says, right? Like he he just talks about uh, scattering, the, you know, confusing their languages, and here they're now getting dispersed. Um, or am, I, am I wrong about that? Maybe I'm missing that. Confuse their language. Yeah. Yeah, he just, when he's speaking, he's only talking about confusing their languages. But, the, but it is the fallout of what he had said. Um, and then the conclusion, we, we put the conclusion in the last sentence uh, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I was telling them, I, I find conclusions to be the hardest things to find, um, often because we're only looking at one scene at a time. Um, so, like, the story really isn't concluded. It's just moving to the next scene. Um, and 
because um, the, the Bible isn't as concerned about the conclusion as it is with the climax. Uh, Old Testament narrative isn't as concerned with the conclusion as it is with the climax. So let's talk about that now in, in interpretation. Lens one summary. We have three questions that we're going to ask every time. What is the author talking about? Why is the, uh, what does he say about the subject and why does he say it? So when we're thinking about this question, what is the author talking about? Here's why this is important. Here's why we do this. Because the climax is the clue. The climax is the point of the story. So we think... We want to look at the conclusion, right? In, in 21st century America, we want to look at the conclusion and say, okay, can you, God, can you just please tidy, you know, nice and neatly wrap this in a bow for me and tell me what you're talking about because I can't figure it out. And God's like, nope, I want you to work at it a little bit. I, I want you to think through this a little bit more. And so um, the climax is, is, is the main point of the narrative. What is the author talking about in, in this particular story? Um, and then, yeah, we'll, go, we'll actually do this practice together. And then what does he say about the, the, the subject? Um, so how do all the other parts of the story, the plot and the characters and everything else, interact with that point in the climax? So once we find the climax, then we can see how everything else relates to it. And then, so and that's going to be the... What does he say about it? And then why does he say it? How does this story fit into the larger story? Uh, so we're going to look at that arc two, the larger story of this person's life um, and, and this part of redemptive history. And we're going to look at arc three, the larger story of salvation history, okay? Yeah, that's good. We'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Hopefully you're able to answer those questions to some degree. Uh, lens two. Uh, Christ. So now we're interpreting this in light of Christ. And here's a warning with Old Testament narrative, okay? The warning is don't overdo it. Don't overdo it. Christ is not hiding under every rock or in every number. He is fulfilling the flow of the narrative, and sometimes the New Testament helps us apply a specific characteristic or office to him. Okay? So like Melchizedek. We would never know that Melchizedek is a type of Christ, except that the New Testament tells us. But what we can be tempted to do is to then say, well, then everything is. <laughs> you know, and we can just say, well, under, like, just because the writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could figure that out, I can too. So therefore, this particular rock is you know, representative of Christ in this way, and this is this, and this is this, and, and we can get crazy. Don't get crazy, okay? Like, there's no need to get crazy. There's plenty here to not, without getting crazy, and a lot of times, 90% of the time, getting crazy actually leads you in the wrong direction. It leads you away from the richness of what's actually there, okay? So, don't overdo it. Um, however... And with that strong warning, <laughs> there is such a thing as types in the Bible. Um, and where we're going to find types in the Old Testament narrative, historical theological narrative, is in the characters. Uh, so, um, for example, 
Moses delivering his people. Okay? That, that foreshadows, you can think of types as like foreshadowing in, in literature. Uh, it's, it's, it foreshadows Jesus. There, there's a, a degree to which we see what Jesus did told in just a little way earlier on. So Moses delivering his people from Egypt. Um, offices, so like the, pro, the office of prophet. Jesus is a prophet. The office of priest. Jesus is the ultimate priest. The office of king. He's the ultimate king. And then objects. Uh, so example, the, the golden serpent that everyone looks to for salvation can foreshadow Christ. Now, again, you've got to be really careful with all of that because he's not under every, you know, like not, he's not in every single brick in the Tower of Babel. <laughs> um, you know, like that's not what we're going for here. But if there's something clear or especially if there's something that the New Testament makes clear, it's valuable to grab that and pick it up, okay? Um, then, thinking more about how this is fulfilled in Christ, um, so his life. Ask the question, where does Jesus succeed where, his, where the characters failed? Where does Jesus succeed where the characters failed? His death. How does Jesus enter into the same types of suffering experienced by the characters on their behalf or even into what they deserved how does his death atone for the sins of the people in the plot the resurrection how does Jesus conquer the elements of conflict in the story think about Satan, sin, death, fear, shame, guilt how does Jesus conquer those things and, and, you know, a lot of times the Old Testament is just giving us this angst, this need for Jesus to come. Oh, I need Jesus to come. Oh, man, I need Jesus to come. And how does Jesus ultimately break that tension? Um, and then return. How does this relate to the new kingdom? So I was talking about that this morning in, in, the, in the whole idea with Abram and, and uh, the fact that he was going to this new land, and Hebrews says that it was, he was waiting a heavenly city. Um, and, and so that it anticipates this time when, when we're going to this new place that is not our home, but is God's promised land. All right, so why don't we do that now? Let's take a little practice time, and then I'll, I'll just give some application tips in a minute. So work through those. Uh, are there any types are there any types of you're not going to you know you're not going to get to all of them and that's the beauty of this is that you'll you'll keep going over this again and again and again but we're we're like we're talking about all kinds of different stuff over here that's just so exciting and that that when you spend the time to dwell on this and you just sit in the scriptures you know like so we're talking about um, where did Jesus succeed where the characters failed? And um, uh, Marion, what was the thing that you said? Yeah, he did only what his father told him to do. And here they are trying to do the exact opposite of, of what God is telling them to do. I, I, I was recalling uh, the, when Satan takes him up to the, the high place in the temple and say, you know, take, he takes him up and he lets him see and he says, all of this can be yours. And Jesus says, no, like, like that, that was this attempt to make 
Jesus high in a way that was contrary to God's plan, and, and Jesus was like, no, I succeeded. You know, just, and those, those are just little touch points like where we can say, Jesus is the victor. He is the one who fulfills the plan here. Um, we talked about uh, resurrection. How does Jesus conquer the elements of the, of the conflict in this story? And you think uh, there's a lot of touch points between Pentecost and all of the nations with all of their dispersed languages being in Jerusalem then, hearing the gospel message in one, me- in one language, or, or in their own language, I should say. It's not one language, but it's their own language, and coming together as one church. It's like the reversal of that dispersion. Um, the return. You know, how does this relate to the new kingdom? Well, we're, com- we're going to be back together, but we're not going to be building a tower to heaven. Heaven is coming to earth. Okay? So, like, if you don't take some time, like, I, I, I didn't take any time ahead of time to think through those things. You just think, think about and dwell in the story. All right. Real quick on application. Some warnings. Don't allegorize or generalize. For example, the land promised to Abram was a very specific land promise in a specific way at a specific time. God's promising, God is not promising us all land. And the land is not a spiritual reality fulfilled in Christ's first coming, but rather a physical reality anticipated in Christ's second coming. Okay? So like what we were talking about this morning with the, with the land. Um, don't make heroes out of the characters. They're agonists, not pro- protagonists. Okay? And then description over prescription. This is what God did in a time, how humans responded in a time. So think about it like uh, illustrating the things that are clear in, in didactic literature and, and where it's like just told to you, like this is what you should do. Think about, think about the, uh, the stories as the illustrations of all of that, okay? Um, and what happens when you do? What happens when you don't? This is how, what God did in a certain time, how humans responded in a certain time. So like Gideon and his fleece. The point of the Gideon and his fleece story, let me say it again, is not to start throwing out fleeces or say, this is my fleece before the Lord to make this decision. That is not the point of the story. The point of the story is to see God come through when Gideon was fearful and wouldn't listen to God's promise on the first time. And to see God's patience in that. So relate prescriptions where it is clear in the Bible to descriptions in, in, the, in the narrative literature. Four questions then. Who's God? Well, we can say he's the hero. <laughs> How does this story prove that he's the hero? That's the question. Um, what has he done? He set everything right in Christ. How does this story reveal the need for that and foreshadow it? Who are we? We're agonists in the story. Do I see myself reflected in any of the characters? Am I on God's side? Am I on Satan's side? Am I neutral? And by the way, the goal is not to be neutral, but actively involved in God's unfolding plan. And then what must we do? Is there a promise to trust, an example to follow, etc.? Okay? So maybe, maybe this afternoon, sit down with Genesis 11 and, and finish up that application part. Um, and then, uh, you know, dig into the Discover the Story plan this week. You're, you're, in the Discover the Story plan, you're not going to be getting 
chapter after chapter after chapter like we were this past week. So if you're tracking with it this past week, you, you got to read Genesis 3 to 11. Now you're going to be more in isolated parts of the story that, that are related together. And so look for the ways that they're related because I put them, I, I chose them selectively <laughs> to help us tell the story. All right? Father, I thank you for today. Uh, I thank you for your word. Um, I pray that you would help us to see it, understand it, know it. I pray that you would help us to work hard at it and love your word, uh, to, to love studying it and, and um, seeing you there. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us this week as we open your word and, and behold the beautiful treasure that it is. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.